Revelation chapter 21. You've already heard it sung at the beginning of our service on the video. Let's read what the God's Word says tonight. John is writing, John the Revelator, in 21, 21st chapter of Revelation, the first eight verses. John said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water, the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers, sorcerers and idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Hard for me to read that, and we've read it for the last several weeks, without showing any emotion. What a tremendous passage of Scripture. And our text has been for the last several weeks about heaven Is it a far-fetched dream, or is it a certain promise? And I want to say again tonight, I am so thankful that we have the Word of God. I am so thankful we have the truth of God's Word that not only tells us where we came from, but where we're going. It talks about a destination that everyone is headed one of two places, and the Bible makes that very clear. We began several weeks ago looking at this topic of heaven. And I, I couldn't help but think, as I read those verses again just a moment ago, uh, we're here, of course, in the book of Revelation, the last book uh, of the Bible, the last book of the New Testament, and we're nearing the end of the book of Revelation itself. And John sees this wonderful vision. Uh, 
Now, by the way, I would tell you to turn to chapter 23 of Revelation, but guess what? There's no chapter 23. We're at the end. And God says it is finished. It is done. I'm the Alpha, and I am the Omega. And then he makes a wonderful promise. So we've spent the last few weeks trying to glean from the Scriptures what the Bible says about heaven. We kind of did a little review in the Old Testament, and we found out there was one particularly uh, often used word for heaven in the Old Testament. I won't try to pronounce it. But that one Hebrew word uh, could either mean the place where God is, uh, it could talk about the atmosphere heaven, or even where the stars are at. And the only way to tell what section of heaven it was talking about was the context of the verses in which that word was used. And then we talked a little bit about the Old Testament, heaven and the New Testament. And again, there's a Greek word, a particular Greek word that's used for heaven. And the same thing is true about that Greek word. It could mean one of three places. It could mean the sky. Uh, it could mean uh, the place where the stars are at. Uh, but primarily in the New Testament, it means the place where God dwells. And so again, how do you know what is that word speaking about when you read heaven in the Old Testament or in the New Testament? It's used in a variety of ways. It all depends on the context. I hope you have your Bibles with you tonight. We're going to have to do a, a, quite a bit of reading. And I want to go back to Luke's Gospel. We did it a few weeks ago, chapter 16. Let's just read verses 22 and 23 again. Luke 16 Verses 22 through 23. Give me a moment to get there. Very, very familiar story about the rich man and Lazarus, uh, the beggar. Let's pick up, we're not going to read the entire story, but let's just read two verses tonight. So it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Two different people here. We have a rich man and a beggar. What happened to both of them? They both died. The Bible says it's appointed a man once to what? To die. Now that's bad enough. But the worst part is, and after that, the judgment. So it's appointed for everyone to die unless Jesus comes first. And so we began looking a week or so ago. Well, not last, we didn't have church last Sunday night. Talking about Abraham's bosom. Now, again, that's what Luke mentions here, as in, or Jesus in this story that he tells. But we have to understand we have a rich man and a beggar. The rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he didn't know God as a Savior. And the poor man didn't go to paradise or to Abraham's bosom. We'll talk more about that. Because he was poor, he went there because he knew God personally. And so understand that's very important it's only because of what Jesus does that anyone in any time period, whenever they live, goes to heaven. 
based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind, we talked a little bit about Old Testament salvation. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, keep my thoughts together. First of all, how many know we don't have a whole lot of information about heaven in the Bible? Isn't that true? And so we have to take verses that we do have and kind of pull them together and hopefully do a, a good job of breaking those down, rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth, as Paul said to do, told Timothy, that we might come to some conclusions that I think at least somewhat biblical, or should be biblical anyway. But we need to remember that the Old Testament saints, whenever they died, uh, they didn't go to heaven, to the final heaven, let me make sure I clarify that, because Jesus had not come uh, to earth, he had not come and lived his life, and he had not died on the cross, uh, because the bottom line, only the finished work of Jesus Christ opens the way to the final heaven. Hopefully we can kind of explain that a little later on in our message tonight. So, even in the Old Testament, uh, how many know tonight, <coughs> excuse me, even Old Testament saints were saved by grace. That's never changed. It's, it's the same today, it was, changed, it was the same in Moses' day, it was the same in Abraham's day. And they were saved by grace when they exercised saving faith in God. Paul spent an entire chapter in Romans chapter 4 trying to settle that issue about being saved without works of the law. And Paul simply said it was written in Genesis that Abraham believed God and therefore he was counted righteous, not by his works, but by his belief. But also know that once he believed, guess what followed? His works. He believed God and because he believed God, he was declared Righteous. So they were saved by grace, but their sins were not yet washed away or, or atoned for a better word for that by the blood of Jesus Christ. But they're looking forward to that day. We know also that when God brought them out of Egypt, the Jews, He gave them the law. He gave them a sacrificial system and gave them instruction on what to bring for all kinds of sin, whatever it was. There was some kind of sacrifice to cover that sin. And don't you know that even those who couldn't afford anything except some some grain, they could come and they could be forgiven by God. What a God, amen. He's always been a God of grace. So when they died, they didn't go directly to heaven that we're going to talk about later on. But that system of animal sacrifices simply covered their sins just for a little while. They could never atone completely for the sins of man. They could never fully satisfy God. But aren't you glad? Oh, God, aren't you glad that 2,000 years ago someone did come and his sacrifice of himself satisfied God. Oh, he's satisfied because of Jesus Christ. So it had to be. Yes, they look forward to, uh, in, in, in time, if you will, you know, Abraham believed God, Moses believed God, but they realized there was coming a day when God would send his son, and they didn't understand the full ramification of that, but somehow they knew there was a day coming, and no wonder Abraham looked for a country, aren't you glad? He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Even though he never had a permanent place here, he knew he had one wedding. Why? Because he trusted in God, so he was indeed a child of God. So where did they go? 
Where did Old Testament saints go uh, before Jesus Christ died on Calvary? Now, again, <clears throat> I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I, I don't think we, any of us had this all, all the wrinkles ironed out of this. We're taking some verses, we're putting them together, and hoping by God's Spirit we'll make a, make a good uh, conclusion about heaven and what goes on here. But one thing about it, I do not believe the Bible teaches soul sleeping. Amen. Please remember that. Now, Jesus does use that metaphor, sleep. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking of the time in John 11, just this afternoon, as I thought about this message again. Jesus got word that his friend was sick, Lazarus. And he waited for several days, but Ricky wasn't too late. Amen. <laughs> Four days, right? And, uh, and, but here's the thing. The disciples said, you know, talking, and the Lord said, well, he's just sleeping. And, and the disciples said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, uh, I mean, he, he's like our pastor. He's taking a Sunday afternoon nap, right? Don't wake him. Let him rest. But Jesus had to clarify, no, Lazarus is dead. But it doesn't mean that Jesus taught soul sleeping. The only idea of sleeping is, uh, you know, we die, we leave this physical world, but one day, it's only temporary, God's going to raise us again, that body, from the grave. But the soul does not sleep. And hopefully, I can kind of bring that out a little later on, maybe next, next time uh, in, in our message. But the bottom line is, <clears throat> Christ is telling the story here in Luke's Gospel. And before the atonement of Jesus Christ, the way to the Father was not fully open yet. So according to what we read in, in the New Testament, especially here in Luke, the Old Testament saints went to a place called Abraham's bosom. Now many scholars believe, because of the way Jesus used it, it might have been a common saying and belief in the day that Jesus was here on this earth. And we have to understand that. So what's interesting, one thing we know for sure, uh, when we think about what goes on here in Luke 16, there is no doubt that Jesus Christ is describing two distinctly different places. Two places where a man's soul would go at death. So where does man's soul go at death at that time? Well, first of all, there was a place of comfort. And Jesus identified that as Abraham's bosom. But there was also another place where the rich man went. And it was a place of torment. A place that we often refer to as hell. But I want to make sure we, we we're careful about how we think of that word hell. Uh, it's not the final place, if you will, of torment. But it is a place of torment. So that place that was called Abraham's bosom then, it was a place of the righteous dead. Now, again, uh, and the Bible used that word bosom there, but it literally means that that person, the righteous dead, went to be by Abraham's side. 
where Abraham was, they would go. And so the believing godly saints would go there and they would wait for the confirmation of the ages. They would wait for the establishing of the kingdom of the Messiah. It was a place of bliss. But again, Jesus speaks of another place. It was a place where the unrighteous dead go. It was not a good place. It was not a happy place. It was recognized as a place of torment. It was recognized as a place of suffering. It was recognized as a place of thirst. It was a place of loneliness, a place of fear. It's also interesting, as we can put New Testament verses together, it was also the habitations of demons and all manner of dreadful creatures. And I want to tell you something, folks. I would not wish hell on anybody. It's an awful, awful, awful place. And worse yet, when we think about this awful place, there was no way to escape. There was no end of those torments. There was no uh, relief from the pain and the thirst and the suffering going on. And the bottom line is, there was an ultimate destination, and they would only leave hell, Hades, and they would end up in the lake of fire. And that was not revealed in the Old Testament. Now, again, let's consider that word Hades. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, even in the day of Christ, it was believed and taught that the dead ended up in one of two realms. One thing you need to understand. For the Jews, there is no such thing of ceasing to exist. They believed that once a person died, he lived on eternally somewhere. He did not stop existing. I also want to point out very, something very important that we need to realize. You know, uh, if you've been a student of the Word of God very long, there were two, I guess, major religious groups. There were more than that, but two ones we read about more often than not in the New Testament. We have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees were the aristocrats. They were the wealthier ones. And the Pharisees were the common man's religion, if you will. Uh, they were very literal in their interpretation of Scripture, uh, they, they took it for what it said. Sadducees, not so much. And the main difference was the Pharisees believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees did not. They did not believe in the resurrection. Now, one thing I like about that particular subject, how do we know which is right? Jesus tells us which is right. He told the Sadducees, you're wrong in what you're thinking. The God of the universe, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of who? The living. So you err in your way saying there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. So we have to understand, what are we talking about here? So Everybody lives on somewhere forever. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, <clears throat> I don't have the verse in front of me tonight, but God tells Daniel that people be, be raised either to eternal life or to eternal damnation. One of two places. So even in the time of Jesus Christ, most Jews believed that the dead would exist in one of several realms. And of course, one is Hades. 
Now, it's translated in our English Bible and uh, with hell, at least in the King James and a lot of English Bibles. Uh, by the way, the, in the Old Testament, we talked about it several weeks ago. It was a word she holds, same concept, if you will. But literally, uh, even though it's translated to hell in our Bibles a lot of times, the word Hades really means the unseen place. The unseen place. Uh, and it's sometimes indefinite when it refers to the place of the righteous or the unrighteous. It could be either for the righteous or it could be for the unrighteous. And again, only the context of that verse can tell us which one it is. So Hades is the place that you don't see. It's the place of the dead. It, it, and again, it could be Hades. It could be a, a place of torment. Or it could be a place of comfort like Abraham's bosom. The Bible also speaks about paradise. Now remember, when we think of Hades as connection with hell, Hades would not be the eternal place of damnation. It's only a temporary abode of the dead. But also understand that Abraham's bosom is not the permanent place of the righteous dead. It's only a temporary place until heaven is ready. And I'm, I'm having trouble finding the words to make sure I describe this right. Now it's interesting, we talk, the Bible speaks about paradise, the place of the righteous dead. And again, we talk about those who sleep or have died in the Lord. Uh, paradise was a place of, <clears throat> of supreme peace. Uh, peace in the very presence of righteous dead. And Abraham was seen, if you will, as the host or leader of this place. Now, uh, keep in mind, uh, again, uh, as we look at this, it's a struggle sometimes because uh, these words can be a synonym for heaven. Uh, but it, no, no doubt about it, it's a place of peace. It's a place of rest. It's a place of comfort for those who die in the Lord. So wherever Abraham was, the bosom of Abraham, it's certainly in direct contrast to where the rich man had gone, where the unrighteous go when they die, because where they go was torment and fear. And the bottom line, there was all there was was horrible suffering with absolutely no relief. Now, I think I may have mentioned this a week ago or two weeks ago, but you remember the conversation that the rich man had with Abraham. He said, let Lazarus dip his fingers in water to do what? To cool my tongue. It was an absolute place of torment. And Abraham said to the rich man, we can't. There's a gulf between us. And you can't come over here. And we can't come over there. It just can't happen. You can't get out of it. In Luke chapter 23, Christ is on the cross. And you know he was crucified between two thieves. And in verse 42... There's a quick conversation. 
Now again, notice almost all these verses we're reading, we're just getting glimpses. We're getting snapshots. But understand, this is the Word of God. And here was a thief on the cross. There were two there. And for whatever reason, one realized, you know what? I better work out a deal here. I better take care of business because I realize I belong here. But there's one in the middle that doesn't belong here. Look at the conversation, Luke 42, on Luke 23, verse 42. And he, this is the, the, the thief, the criminal. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Why would he ask that question? Well, let me read Jesus' answer before I go on with that. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, What's it say? Today. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now I got to tell you, folks, that dying thief at that moment had more faith than all the rest of Jesus' followers put together. Think about his question. Now the disciples certainly continued to love Jesus. But how many know that at that moment, as they watched him die, their hopes for the kingdom were shattered? What are we going to do now? And most of them at that point had gone into hiding. In fact, later on in Luke's gospel, one of his followers would say, two days later, we had hoped that he was the one. We hoped with all we had that he was the one going to redeem Israel. But their hope was gone. But then you have this thief, this criminal. He looks at the man who was dying next to him. And he said, Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Just remember me. But yet you're looking there at your, in that crowd and from where you're standing, it looks as though from all appearances the kingdom was finished. But oh, this faith of that one man. He alone, he saw beyond the present shame and he saw the coming glory. Remember me. And so that very moment, Jesus assured that thief very clearly, very directly, that very day, after they breathed their last, Jesus said to that thief, you will be with me in paradise. Woo! Wow. Today. 
Now remember, the criminal admitted, I deserve to be here. And certainly he had lived an evil life. He was a lawbreaker. And whatever he did was serious enough to bring about his execution. But as he faced death, he turns to the man in the middle and he believes in Jesus Christ. Remember me. I got to tell you folks, that's a powerful conversation. Very powerful. Because it reminds me of what Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. And right there on the cross next to Jesus, there was a lost man. Aren't you glad he came to save everyone? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't know for sure. But I hope when I get to heaven, I'll be able to look this guy up. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I, I'd say, hey, you know what? I wonder, what were you thinking that day? And, and I don't know, but I believe, in my opinion, that the assurance of immediate paradise was probably more than he ever expected. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I read that that word uh, paradise that we use in the Bible, uh, they call it a Persian loan word. And it simply means garden. And in fact, uh, some of the translations when you read in Genesis, uh, talk about the Garden of Eden and the Garden of God, it's really the paradise of God. But no matter what that may mean, without a doubt, this word paradise would be a place of beauty, It would be a place of joy, and it would be a place of rest. Now, i got to tell you, that's not where the rich man was. He had no joy, he had no rest, and there was no beauty. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and again, remember, paradise is a place of beauty, joy, and rest. Paul is writing about an experience he had in chapter 12, verse 4, 2 Corinthians. He says, how that he was caught up into paradise. That's our word. And he heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul speaks about paradise. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, Christ is speaking here. And he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now again, when we talk about Abraham's bosom paradise, they can be synonyms for heaven. But I read here in Revelation, wherever paradise is, God is. That's where I want to be. And so we talked about a thief on the cross a moment ago. A moment ago, he projected that theology, a theology that must have been common to all the Hebrews. Why else would he ask, Lord, when you get to your kingdom? Somehow he knew 
that God has a kingdom. Somehow he recognized that this was the, king, the Son of God. And he realized that one day, and then the Hebrews also believed that one day God would establish, the Messiah would come, and he would establish the heavenly kingdom, and he would welcome all the righteous, the righteous dead, into his presence in paradise. And the thief went across and said, God, remember me. So it had to have been common teaching in that day. But again, let me remind you, before Christ came, that righteousness was never gained by keeping the law. But you gained righteousness by believing the promise of the Messiah, the very one who one day would come and redeem them and us from all of our sins. No wonder they call him the Savior. Glory to God. So we think about the idea of paradise. Now again, the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell. A better word would be Hades, a place of the unseen, a place of the dead. And even though he was in a place of torment, it was still a temporary place. Those who are in torment or in Hades 10,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, they're still in Hades, but they have one destination, and that is to the lake of fire. It's not going to get better. It's just going to get worse. And the same is true about paradise. It is only a temporary residence waiting for the complete manifestation of the kingdom of the Messiah. But here's the good news. Paradise is a good place, and it's going to get better than that. It's only going to get better. So after the resurrection, the writers of the New Testament seem to indicate they describe paradise as a place that exists in one of three realms. And again, again, we talk about heaven. We've mentioned it earlier. It could be the atmosphere where the birds fly. It could be the second heaven, the universe, the planets, and the stars. Or we read about Paul in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 a moment ago. It could mean the third heaven, the abode of God. I find it also interesting. I remember we're taking sort of, sort of snapshots from the scripture of different things the Bible says about the bosom of Abraham, about heaven, about paradise. And Paul, when he writes letters to the churches, he speaks about and he addresses and refers, if you will, to the death of the saints. And it's interesting, when Paul addressed in those letters the death of the saints, not one time in those particular letters does he mention paradise. But what's interesting to me is, he does speak of immediate presence with the Lord once we die and he says we don't stop existing we continue to exist even once we die now let me remind you the word of God is inspired it is breathed out by God the things that Paul wrote were not his own ideas they were revealed to him by God and the Holy Spirit directed him what to write in his letters. The same is true with the entire Word of God. 
The Bible is very clear about that. So what Paul writes about when he talks about the death of the saints is what he has received from the Lord. And we can count on his teaching because he got it from the Lord Jesus Christ. So in those times when Paul speaks about and makes a reference to the death, those who die in Christ, he refers, if you will, uh, to the time of the future appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth, a time when there will be a gathering of all the believers, both living and dead, and Jesus Christ is going to gather them to himself. How many know that one day that trumpet is going to sound? One day there will be a voice of an archangel. And when that takes place, all of God's children are going to be called to him. All of them, both the dead and the living. Second Corinthians chapter 5, look at the first eight verses with me, please, if you will. Second Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1. And in verse 8. I'm going to underline these first three words in my notes here. Paul said, for we know. What does that mean? Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Now, if you're a child of God, if you want to ruffle my feathers, say, I hope I'm going to heaven. If you're a child of God... You ought to say what? I'm going. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus Christ, what he did for me. So Paul says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. Let me stop for a moment. May I say, and again, I don't want to change God's word. But how many know that's going to happen to us? Amen? So Paul said, when that happens, when this house or this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. Remember, for we know this. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Then in verse 2, Paul said, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for this self same thing is God who also has given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. How many know what that is? A down payment. Therefore, we are always confident, and I hope you're confident, by the way, we are always confident that while, whilst we are in at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Why? We walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, Paul said, we are confident, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body. Why? And to be present with the Lord. Amen. Absent from the body and be present with 
the Lord. Now, I find it kind of interesting as I think about that text tonight. And again, we're getting snapshots, glimpses of what the Bible says about heaven, about what happens after we die. Now, by the way, I don't mean to be mean-hearted tonight. I'm going to tell you the truth. It doesn't matter what you think is going to happen after you die. It matters what God's Word says. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God's Word says. And wouldn't you agree people have a lot of weird ideas out there? They absolutely do. But what does God's Word say? And I read this text again this afternoon, and several things came to my mind. Uh, Paul talks about we have an earnest desire to be clothed with our house from heaven. He talks about we have a building of God that's eternal in the heaven, made by God, with a God not made with hand, but made by God. He talks about that we don't want to just be naked or unclothed. We want mortality to be swallowed up with light. Now, i, I got to tell you something, folks. If all I have is this life, that's a bummer. And I'm, I got, God's been good to us, been good to our family. I, I mean, I've been blessed beyond my imagination. But one thing we have to realize, do you know that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them to live forever? Isn't that true? And because of sin, they disobeyed God, death came upon all men. But our desire, God placed it as is to live forever somewhere. So Paul said, while we're here on this earth, even now we're groaning as children of God, knowing that God has something better for us. And we want to take off his mortality, and we want to put on immortality. And by the way, only God can do that for us. But I want to remind you tonight, folks, is heaven just a far-fetched dream? No, heaven is real. It is real. And Jesus Christ, Christ came and he paid the penalty. He died for our sins that we might be forgiven, that you and I could spend eternity in heaven. And I know it's tough. And I, I, you know, I've done quite a few funerals, more than I've lost count of how many I've done. And sometimes when you walk away from that grave and it seems so cold and empty, but I want to tell you, folks, that those who die in Christ, the moment they take their last breath, they're more alive than they've ever been. To die is gain. That's what Paul said. And Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And i got to tell you, folks, don't you agree? We're glad to be saved. Let's stand together. We're going to hold, Lord willing. Now, by the way, if Jesus comes, we'll have Bible study in heaven. No, we won't. We'll be praising him only. Huh? Be bowing before the throne. But Lord willing, if the Lord tarries, next week we'll take some more glimpses. But I want you to know, folks, heaven is real. Our God is real. And he died to take our place. And my prayer would be to anyone. That's why we've got to pray for our families, folks. Because I don't care who you are. You're not going to get out of this world alive. And there's two destinations. Into God's presence, eternal joy and bliss, or the devil's hell. And I don't want anyone to go there.
praise His holy name. Don't forget, Bible study on Wednesday night. Uh, Trail Life has started back up. American Heritage Girls, our focus program is going well on Wednesday night. If you have any questions about any of these, uh, you can see uh, Tricia and Jesse about the new focus program they're doing and uh, let them know that, tell them you're ready to help. They need you, amen. Uh, Trail Life, if you have any questions, see Jason. American Heritage, see, uh, see Rhonda. Also, don't forget what's going on, Jeremy, later on this month. Okay, let, let Jeremy know. And by the way, they're going to be doing some work down there. I think I think Jeremy's planning on going down. He first asked me to go, but he said, Dad, you're getting too old to go. He didn't use any exact words, but that's what he meant. Anything else we can do now if we go home tonight? Well, folks, have I told you lately I love you? I surely do. I thank you for being faithful to God. That's the greatest joy any pastor can have. And I just simply pray that God will continue to bless your life. Brother Paul Wheeler, dismiss in prayer, please.